How are y'all doing tonight? Y'all doing good? I'm super excited to be here with you. And you know, I'm not only excited to be here with you, but I'm excited for what time of year it is. It's almost fall. It's almost fall. And you know, you, you know how you know it's almost fall? One, one, Starbucks brings back pumpkin spice lattes. All right, and then you know it's fall because football's back. College, college started last week, and I'm super excited to watch the Bears lose every Sunday for the next 17 weeks. It's going to be great. I'm super excited. But no, I'm super excited to be Super excited to be here with you. You know, over the past couple of years, I have coached several different basketball teams. And, and these teams have each looked very different. You know, one year I had this one team, they didn't have a ton of talent, but they could play together as a team. And in fact, they played together as a team so well that they won the championship. They brought home the gold, and I have to give a shout out to Morgan Rummage, who coached alongside of me, we, we brought home the, the championship. But then I think to another team that I had after this, a team that had so much talent, a team that had so much potential that was just wasted. They could shoot the ball really well. We had players who had a lot of talent in dribbling and passing, but the one thing that they couldn't do was play together as a team. In fact, during some practices, one of the players, they would take an open shot and miss. And, and despite the team wanting to maybe encourage him, help him out, instead, the players would just start yelling at him. They'd be like, dude, how could you take that shot? Like, are you seriously going to miss that and not pass it to me? And I would just sit back and be like, what, what is going on? And as the coach, I take no responsibility for that. Like, that's not on me. I shouldn't have helped them out. But instead, the team, they lost a lot of their potential because they pl couldn't play with chemistry. They didn't play united. You see, tonight, we're going to continue our teaching series, Hills We Die On. And if you consider yourself a part of the student ministry, then you also are a part of Bell Shoals. And in this series, we're really looking at some of the things that really make up Bell Shoals, things we really care about. And what these hills are, these, these non-negotiables that we're not willing to compromise on. These things that we're not willing to, to compromise on. And last week we saw Morgan walk through the hill, relatable truth. She told us where truth comes from. That it comes from God and it comes from his word. She told us that as Christians we are also called to share this truth with others. We're not called to share this truth in a judgmental way in a way that, that leads them to think badly about themselves, or a way where they don't feel welcomed here at church, but instead we're called to share this truth in a clear, gracious, and loving way. And tonight, the hill that we're going to be looking at is unwavering unity, is unwavering unity. You see, one of the greatest challenges that the church faces is disunity. You see, disunity is a big challenge the church faces, you see a lot of different um, disagreements and conflicts that happen within the church. And you see sometimes this disunity can be caused by some pretty stupid things. It, be, it can be caused by people not liking the way the pastor dresses. They don't like the clothes that he wears. They don't like the shoes that he has on. 
And so they allow this to cause disunity between them, other believers, and the church. We see that it can be caused by, by people not liking the music that the, the band plays. They don't like the song choices, and they allow this to kind of get themselves angry at the church. Or I've even seen it where people cause disunity in the church because of the color of the carpet. Because of the color of the church on the outside. But you see, oftentimes, disunity is caused by some pretty major issues. So issues like gossiping. Talking bad about someone behind their back. Making fun of them. Putting them down when they don't know it. It can be caused by stubbornness. You not willing to be able to kind of compromise your position on something. So much, in fact, that you're not willing to kind of see the other person's side. And you're willing to argue it until they agree with you. Or a disunity can be caused by judgmental attitudes. By looking down on somebody else for something that they've done in their past. Making fun of somebody for a mistake that they made. Making them feel unwelcomed and unloved. You see, when disunity arises, it can cause some pretty serious consequences. You can see relationships end. You can see people not wanting to open up in their small group because they're scared somebody's going to judge them or make fun of them. And you can oftentimes see some people just leave the church. They'll just completely walk away from their faith because they're so sick of the disunity, of the disagreements, that they're just like, you know what, I've had enough. But you see, here at Bell Shoals and in the student ministry, we don't want this to be a problem. We want the church to be unified. In fact, this is how we say it. It's we believe in peace over preference. We unite on the main things and seek peace, unity, and understanding on all things secondary. You see, we believe that we need to be united on the main issues. We need to be united on what really matters. Like, we need to agree on the fact that truth comes from God and comes from his word. We need to be united on the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. We need to be united on the fact that we as Christians are called to grow and worship together. But not only that, not only do we need to agree on the main things, but we also need to seek peace and unity on all things secondary. You see, all of us, we have different of opinions on things, we have different interests, and sometimes we don't necessarily agree. But what we, what we believe is that we need to seek peace and unity even through those differences, even though everybody might not be the same. You see, not every church is perfect. In fact, no church is perfect. In, in conflict, it's going to arise. Disunity is going to happen, but what matters is how we respond to it. So tonight, we're going to be looking at a story in the New Testament where Paul talks about the importance of unity. It comes from the book of Philippians. And in this book, Paul wrote this as a letter to the church in Philippi. He, Paul had this really good relationship with the church. They were really near to his heart. He really cared about them. And because of this relationship, he knew that he could kind of call them out on some of their problems. He could call them out and say, hey, you guys are kind of messing up in this area. And in this book, we see that's exactly what he does. Paul's writing to the church because they're really struggling at staying unified. They're constantly arguing 
and fighting. And so Paul, he writes this letter to encourage and to challenge them to make unity a priority. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and of one mind. You see, Paul, he's calling the church to be unified. In fact, he's not just saying, just, hey, you guys should probably try and pursue unity, but he's letting them know just how important unity is to him. He's saying that if they become unified, it will complete his joy. It will make his joy complete. And after he calls them to unity, he then gives them three characteristics of what unity looks like. The first one is being like-minded. It's mean, meaning that, that you agree together. That together as a, as a church, as a body of believers, you are agreeing on the main issues. You are like-minded on what really matters. You see, obviously, not everyone in here is the same. We have different opinions. We have different interests. We have different hobbies. We don't talk the same or necessarily think the same about everything. But what Paul is telling us is that we need to be like-minded on the things that really matter. We need to be like-minded on where truth comes from. We need to be like-minded that Jesus loves us and that as Christians, we are called to honor and to glorify him. And being like-minded also means that we're going to put our secondary differences aside. That we're not going to allow our different interests or our different hobbies get in between of people that we can be friends with. We're not going to allow it to cause disunity in our life. You see, Paul then also says that we need to have the same love. That we should love each other, and that means loving each other with no partiality. Meaning that we're not going to love each other just because, you know, I get along with this person. Instead, we're going to love each other with no biases. Without holding anything that somebody has done, somebody has said against them, we're going to love everybody with no partiality. You see, we don't want to use someone's flaws or someone's past choices as a reason not to love them. You see, as Christians, we are called to love each other the way God loves us. And God loves us despite our flaws, despite our sin. He still loves us, and we are called to love others the same way. And the final characteristic that Paul uses is being one in spirit and one in mind. You see, Paul, he's telling the Philippians that as Christians, we are all knit together. That when you accept Jesus as your Savior, when you put your faith and trust in him, you become a part of the family of Christ. And that we are all united around the Holy Spirit that is now living inside each one of us. And that we should be united around this fact that we are all a part of the same family. We should be united because we are one in spirit and one mind. Even though we have differences we need to be united by our shared spirit. Now let's continue on in verse three. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So Paul, he's called the church to be united. 
He's given them three characteristics of what unity looks like. And now in these verses, he tells them how to achieve this unity. And how you achieve this unity is through humility. But what is humility? You see, humility is purposely valuing others above yourself. You see, Paul is saying that in order to achieve unity, in order to be a united church, then you have to live in humility. You have to value value yourself less than others. You have to look to the interests of other people. And you know, honestly, this can be really difficult for us. You know, we live in a world that tells us it's all about you. It's your life. Live it how you want to live it. Do what you want to do. Look out for number one. Don't worry about other people. But you see, in order to live in unity, in order to achieve this, we must pursue humility. But where do we start? Like, how do we start to live in humility? Well, you see, Paul, he gives us two ways that we can do this. He first tells us to do nothing out of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is when your drive becomes all about you is when you're worried about what you need to accomplish, what need you need to get done, what your goals are, and you stop valuing other people. Like you're so worried about what you need to get done that you're willing to do whatever it takes. You're willing to say whatever you need to say, run over whoever you need to run over to get to your goal. And Paul is telling us that in order to live in humility, in order to achieve unity, we must live without selfish ambition. Paul then continues and says to do nothing out of vain conceit. To do nothing out of vain conceit. You see, vain conceit is when you show excessive pride in your appearance, qualities, and achievements. When you're so focused on other people seeing how good you are. Like you want people to see what you've accomplished, all that you've done, how good looking you are, what good grades that you have. You're so worried about it, you're posting it all over social media so people can see it. And what Paul is saying is that in order to achieve unity, in order to live in humility, we must live without vain conceit. We must live without selfish ambition. Instead, Paul tells us we must live in humility, valuing others above ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean that we should forget about our own interests, that we shouldn't have goals in our life or things that we want to accomplish. But what Paul is saying is that our goals and accomplishments should not be above other people. We shouldn't be willing to do whatever it takes to reach those goals. Instead, we should value others above our own self-interests. Because we, we, we want to live in humility. We don't want disunity to creep in to our church and into our lives. You see, in order to pursue unity, we must value others above ourselves. You know, honestly, this can be really difficult. It isn't supernatural for us to want to live in humility, to want to look out for other people's interests above our own. But I want you to see what Paul says in verse 5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
You know, I think if anybody had the right to think of themselves as high, it was Jesus. This is a man who lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never did or said anything wrong. He was the son of God. He was the king of kings. And yet what we see through Jesus's life and through what Paul says here is that he didn't consider himself better than other people. He lowered himself and considered himself a servant. Jesus didn't come to have others serve him. He came to serve others. A man who lived a perfect life, the son of God, he lived a life of humility, a life serving others. Even those that, that spit on him, even those that kind of beat him, that, that put him on a cross to die, he spent his life living in humility, serving others. And Paul is calling us to imitate this humility, to imitate the way that he loved others, to imitate the way that, that he was united with those, even those who hated him. You see, in order for us to achieve unity, we must pursue humility. So tonight as we wrap up, I want to give you all three ways that will help you humble yourself so that you can pursue unity. The first step is to simply confess. It's to own up to something that you have said or something that you have done. You know, in order for something to be fixed, in order for something to be mended, you kind of have to get to the root problem. You have to get down to the issue, and the only way to do that is to talk about it is to talk, have a serious conversation with somebody and own up to your mistake, to own up to what you have done and to apologize to them for it. You know, even if you don't think you did anything wrong, you don't think you said anything that should have hurt them or should have offended them, you still need to own up to that person. And as believers, we are called to do this. Look at what James 5:16 says. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, in order for us to achieve unity, we must address the disunity that is going on. And we must own up and confess our part in it. You know, the second way that we, the second step that we need to take is to forgive. It's to forgive those that have hurt you. It's to forgive those that have said something or done something that has caused you pain, that has caused you to hurt. You know, this can be difficult because we, we don't think maybe that they deserve it. You know, maybe they've never owned up to their part. Maybe they've never said, like, apologize for what they have done. And we don't feel like they deserve to be forgiven. But in order to overcome this disunity, in order to find unity, in order to mend these relationships, you must forgive those that have hurt you. And I'm not talking about just using the words, I forgive you. But I'm talking about truly forgiving them. Look at what Ephesians 4.31 says. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. You see, we need to get rid of all our bitterness, all of our anger, all of our hurt that has been built up by what this person has done and forgive them. Now, this doesn't mean that when you forgive them that that relationship is going to change, that that relationship is just going to go back to normal, that you're going to be best friends again. 
But what it means is that you are allowing God to transform your heart towards that person. That you're allowing God to mend the hurt. That you're allowing God to de-harden your heart to what they have done to you. We need to forgive in order to find unity. And the last way that we can pursue unity is to watch your mouth. Is to watch what you say. It's to learn, like, when to be quiet. Like, when to stop talking. Because, students, listen, our words have a lot of power. What we say to others can do a lot of damage. And a lot of times what we think is we're just joking around with them. We're just having friends with our, fun with our friends. We're just being sarcastic. But a lot of times we can take it too far and hurt somebody else. The words that we use can do a lot of damage to those around you. You know, even if you weren't meaning it, even if you were just joking with them, you weren't trying to be mean, sometimes what you say can hurt. Or, you know, sometimes maybe you can go to somebody with all the right intentions in the world. Like you're going to talk to them about something important, something that you think will help them or maybe help them stay accountable. But the way that you come across, the words that you use to do it can come across judgy, can come across arrogant, and can come across rude. Even if you, you were just trying to help them out. And a lot of times we excuse what we say by a lot of different excuses. We use the excuse of, you know what, that's just the way that I am. Like, that's just the way that I talk. They just don't understand me. Or we use the excuse of, you know what, if they're offended, that's on them. That's not on me. Like, that's not my problem. I was just trying to be nice. Like, that, that's on them. But students, listen to what Ephesians 4.29 says. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So students, the next time that you're getting ready to talk to someone, the next time you're getting ready to make a joke or go up to somebody to help them out, think about the words that you're going to use. And think, are these words going to build them up or are they going to tear them down? You know, I think in church a lot of times we talk about unity as this easy thing to achieve. We talk about unity as this, this great and just this easy thing that we can achieve in our lives. But in reality, it can be really difficult. You know, in the past, I have experienced this in my own life. There was this one time where I had this really good friend. It was somebody that I trusted, somebody that I could talk to, somebody that I could open up to about things. And they felt the same way about me. We would help keep each other accountable. We would talk to each other about things we were struggling with. But then one day I heard that they were talking about me behind my back. That they were using what I had opened up to them about against me. That they were telling other people about these things that I had told them in kind of secrecy and in trust. And when I heard that this happened, I was extremely hurt. Like deep down, I couldn't believe what they had done. I was struggling, I was confused, I didn't understand what was going on. And instead of, you know what, living in humility and going up to them and talking to them about it, instead of going up to them and saying like, hey man, this isn't cool, but I forgive you. Instead, I just, you know what, I just decided to talk bad about them. I used stuff that they said to me 
against them. I talk bad about them to my other friends. Like, hey, did you hear what they did? Did you hear what they're struggling with? Instead of just living in humility and forgiving them. And you know, for a long time, I was dealing with that pain. Like deep down, I was struggling. I was hurting. And whenever anybody would ask me about it, I would just pretend like nothing was going wrong. Like I wasn't hurting. I would just tell them, hey, it's okay, I'm fine. It doesn't really matter to me. But deep down, I was hurting. I was struggling. And you know what fixed it? You know what mended that relationship? Is that person lived in humility and came up and confessed what they had done. They owned up to their mistake. They owned up to what they had done to hurt me. What they had done to talk about me behind my back. They had the humility enough to have a difficult conversation, a tough conversation that left them vulnerable, and we were able to talk about it. We were able to own up about our mistakes, and we were able to forgive each other. And you know, maybe some of you in here tonight, somebody has done that same thing to you. They've hurt you. They've talked about you behind your back. They've caused some sort of disunity between you. And to this day, you haven't forgiven them. You haven't let it go. And you still have this hurt and this anger and this bitterness deep down. And tonight, what you need to do is you need to forgive them. You need to make the decision to allow God to work through your heart and transform your heart towards that person. Or no, maybe there's some of you in here tonight, maybe you're the one that said something bad about somebody else. You talked bad about them behind their back. You said something mean to them. You hurt them. And to this day, you haven't apologized. You haven't owned up to the mistake that you made, to what you did to hurt that person. And tonight, what you need to do is, is to just go to that person and confess, to own up to what you did and apologize for the way that you treated them, to apologize for what you did to end that friendship, to hurt that relationship. Tonight, don't leave here making the same mistake that I did for too long. Don't live, leave here tonight with this bitterness and this anger towards somebody don't leave here tonight without going up to somebody and apologizing to them for something that you did. Don't leave here tonight living in disunity. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for all that you have done in our lives. God, I pray that tonight that you will begin to work in some of these students' hearts, God. That you will give them the boldness, the courage to go up to somebody and apologize for something that they've done that you will give somebody the courage and the boldness to forgive someone for hurting them. That, God, they will not leave here tonight with this bitterness and this anger inside of them, but that, God, you will begin to start transforming their heart. That, God, you will not let anybody leave here tonight that is living in disunity. I pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.